0: Every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. This is what it is. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. Mm-hmm. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Times are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing, and I'm actually just super excited to be part of the world of voiceover
0: today. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. You lie on the floor flopping around like a, <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes.
1: We work in isolation booths. So if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think. Uh, I hope he asks me to be. Hope he pitches me to whoever. Whatever
0: like if you think that way, then they, they're not really your friends or peers, and you're just trying to use yeah. people. He yeah. so pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that, know, makes well, that, that makes you sense. You <laughs> gotta watch the dress though. <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. It's never give up and be the most. Persistent person in the room. It's always those that are the last one standing. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses. And I, that's true for me today. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Now, today we're talking about a subject that is, well, taboo to some people money. We're going to be discussing cash flow, debt, money management, invoicing, chasing up payments. All these kind of things that we all have to deal with on a day-to-day basis as we're all pretty much freelancers in our industry. Um, And I'm joined by someone who is not only a financial expert, but she used to be in the entertainment industry herself. And she is Stephanie O'Connell. You may be familiar with her appearances on television in blogs her youtube channel she's very popular on social media and twitter and instagram and all that kind of stuff so she's she uh she's everywhere <laughs> and now she's here um so i want to thank stephanie for being very very generous with her time and her knowledge and speaking to me we recorded this in new york uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was a pleasure um Before we get to that, though, I want to make a little announcement. You may have seen already, actually, I announced this a couple of days ago, actually last week, uh, that I'm launching VO School Launch. (laughs) This is a training program, actually, that is a full introduction to the voiceover industry in 15 steps. Now, this is training with me, one-to-one over Skype or Zoom, or in person if you're in the Philly area, and we pretty much go through everything, and it's of course customised to you because it's one-to-one, but it's a full introduction to the industry, the different genres, the business side, the marketing side, Home studio setup, of course, and setting up your space and all the technology and the, everything like that. And it's intended for people who are early in their career or who are completely green to the whole thing, just getting started. So, if you want to find out more about that, just go to the website voschoollaunch.com. There's two L's in the middle of that because it's school and launch. So, that's voschoollaunch.com. And check it out. If you want to get in touch, just go to the website, go to the contact page, shoot me a message. And okay, that's enough promoting of that. So we'll have a couple of quick ads and then we'll get to our interview with Stephanie O'Connell. As a voice actor in 2019, you're more than just an actor you are a business the first ever conference for the business of voiceover is coming
1: to new york city september 13th through 15th amazing speakers panels and classes all in the greatest city in the world vocation nyc ticket sales start april 1st be one of the first 100 to register and get a special early bird conference rate for more information visit vocationconference.com vocation nyc take your vo business to the next level
0: The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today.
1: Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage
0: the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the demo production tab. To find out more. Okay, so today I am joined by Stephanie O'Connell. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining me. And we're talking about money management as a freelancer, which is a fairly in-depth subject. And everyone who listens to this is going to have some nightmare story probably to tell, <laughs> um, and certainly millions of questions. So. Thank you for joining us. I really I'm
1: thrilled that. to be here. I love talking about money, so it's okay. a pleasure. <laughs>
0: Good, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about you first and how you got started in all this stuff. So, when was it and what did you do?
1: Oh, I have a circuitous route to this role that I'm in now, um, but it started. Um, after college graduation, as I'm sure a lot of people's financial stresses do, mm-hmm. uh, I graduated college in the year 2008, which is the year of the recession, and I had a moment of oh my goodness. But I got lucky because I got a job right out of school, and I was actually working in the performing arts at the time. Oh. Yes, and I, you know, I I lucked out, got a job in the performing arts, and then the recession happened, and the producers uh, flew out, and they were like, oh. We're Canceling the rest of this tour, and I went home back in New York City, January 2019, unemployed, and having my oh beep moment.
0: <laughs>
1: you can say it. <laughs> okay, oh shit moment. <laughs> there are a lot of things that could be that beep. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I just started going through this process constantly of side hustling, taking gigs, um, trying to make ends meet, living in a big city, um, and figuring out adulting, quote unquote. And money was always just this thing that was, it felt like the ultimate obstacle. And particularly in moments where um, things that would happen unexpectedly, for example, I had um, a tooth issue where I, what was it? It's called the Oh, my goodness, I'm totally blanking on the hmm. word. An implant, a dental oh, right. implant. Yeah. I was, like, <laughs> They took my tooth out. I need to get a new tooth. And they're like, oh, that's $3,000. And I'm like, I don't have $3,000. <laughs> yeah. And so that wasn't my reaction. My reaction was to start just crying in the dentist's chair. <laughs> and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> but I can't help myself. I'm sure
0: that's not the first time it's happened to <laughs> <office>. you. <laughs> no, probably
1: not. The dentist is not a happy place. <laughs> Um, not just because of the pain, but also because of the financial pain. But I just had so many of those kinds of moments where I was like, I just felt at the mercy of my money or the money I didn't have. And I thought, this is a terrible, terrible feeling. And there's got to be a better way to engage with this. So what I started doing was reading reading some personal finance books. And um, that didn't automatically make me <laughs> rich, unfortunately. But what it did do was give me a new framework for approaching my money and start thinking about it as a tool for affording the things I wanted and needed. And it started me giving me a sense of control. So while there was a lot about my money I couldn't control, I couldn't control my tooth issue, I couldn't control... <laughs> whether I got a good job or whether I didn't get a good job. Um, there's a lot you know that was out of my hands. There were things I could control. I could control if I reviewed how much I spent each day, if I wrote down how much I earned each month, if I reviewed the numbers and just compared my income to my expenses and thought about what adjustments I could make. Mm-hmm. So it kind of flipped the framework from feeling like I was at the mercy of my money to start feeling like there was some elements of it that i could exert power over even if only very small to start Mm -hmm. and then slowly but surely by engaging in that process on a daily basis i started to see what was also available bigger picture and started learning about things like saving and investing and insurance and all of that stuff so that's kind of a long-winded way of saying uh i i kind of fell in love with money and that eventually um kind of became my career was talking about my own journey falling in love with it
0: yeah, I think people are going to really love that—that that you lived through it. That what a lot of people do every day. It's not just you. Yeah, you read books, but you read books because you—you you were experiencing the pain that so many people are going through right now. So, what what are the books that you read that made a big impact on you when you when you first? learned all this stuff?
1: So this was uh, um, about 10 years ago. So this, at the time, I had read, I think, uh, some of the Susie Orman books, uh, Money Book for the Young, Fabulous, and Broke. But uh, yeah, good titles. Yeah. <laughs> since then, I you know, there's so many wonderful books that continue coming out. And I continue to read because I'm endlessly fascinated. And also, I think learning is a lifetime process. And there's always more to apply. So yeah. I've since read things like um, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, another catchy title. Uh, sounds scammy but actually isn't it's a really excellent book um and then actually one of my one of my really good colleagues has a book called broke Millennials. so for any of my fellow millennials out there (laughs) that's actually a great one for learning how not to be a broke millennial
0: anymore cool and how long did it take you to transition from your old way of doing things to the new well what you are now how long was that
1: You know, it's been a process. Like I said, it started with very simple habits, things like literally just tracking my money. But the reality is you you can't out-frugal your way to rich, is what I like to say. You know, at some point, I I needed to start earning more income. And that actually came about through this journey of entrepreneurship that I've been on writing about my own financial journey. So um, when I started taking control of my money, I also started blogging about that process. And that in and of itself became a way to not only learn more about money and stay accountable to my systems, but also to earn more. I started freelance writing for other bloggers. Uh, I started working um, and collaborating with companies on social media campaigns. And it really opened up my opportunity um, to learn and to earn. And that compare that paired together is something that's really helped evolve into an expertise that now is something I continue to refine to this day uh, as I work in more like traditional financial planning perspectives.
0: Right. So was it a case of you not doing bad things or learning new things or a combination of the both?
1: I think it's always both. I yeah. think we all, you yeah. know, so much about of money is about behavior. Yeah and i think that's one of the things that a lot of traditional financial advice kind of glosses over. Everybody knows they need to spend less than they earn, but it's actually doing it, mm. that's the challenge. Yeah. And for me, you know, i have my triggers to this day where that's the challenge, but i also have better systems of managing it and and the simple act of tracking my money, which i do to this day, i write down literally every penny i spend and i review it every week. Mm. Um that keeps me check even if i do go over i'm not going to have gone over for a year because i know i've reviewed my expenses every week if i go over for a week that's not a huge deal
0: yeah a lot of people maybe i'm speaking from personal experience here uh, periods in my life i've been too scared to check my bank account or too scared to look into my expenses so that personal accountability and keeping track of everything that sounds like a, a key to a lot of this
1: it really is. Uh, in what you bring up here is that like, there's so much motion attached to money yeah. and money touches absolutely everything in our lives. And so it can be and feel very vulnerable, yeah. especially if you're dealing things with things like um, big debts or um, maybe overdrawn accounts or credit card balances that you just haven't checked for a long time and that's why i think uh engaging with financial content whether it's through books or blogs or podcasts or whatever it is is really valuable because it tells you that one, there's nothing about you personally that has made you bad at money. You are not bad at money. You may have had some bad financial behaviors, Mm. but everybody has at some point, and you're not alone in that. And also, it doesn't mean you're resigned to practicing those behaviors for the rest of your life. Every moment offers you a new opportunity to choose a new and better financial behavior going forward. So the the thing you have to do is kind of like, give yourself permission for your past mistakes and go ahead and face down the, the numbers and face down the fear. And you see your confidence grow as a result of doing that.
0: Yeah. And and this feeling of guilt is, is uh, you know, a strong motivator for positive and negative things. Um, but it's crazy to me that, uh, and this is, was the case in the UK too, I'm pretty sh- sure it's the case over here, that you're not taught a lot of this stuff in school, in high school. Are you an evangelist for for learning this stuff young? I I assume you are.
1: You know, I think financial literacy is so important, but there's actually a lot of studies that show it doesn't work. So I haven't figured out my philosophy in terms of, you know, what's the most effective way of making sure we grow up to be financially responsible people. Um, What I do think is really interesting, again, is coming back to this idea of the behavior and the emotions, because I think that tapping into that is what drives people. Yeah because everyone is capable of looking up their account balances right everyone is capable of like no knowing how to set money aside not you don't always have the money to set aside but you know how to do it investing it might seem scary but like it's oftentimes literally filling out a piece of paper that says please defer you know, this many dollars from my paycheck. It's that simple. So the actual steps are very simple. What makes it overwhelming is that fear, that anxiety, that shame, that feeling of I am i don't know, I'm not good enough, um, and then some of the behaviors that kind of get in the way, the bad habits. So okay. for me, I like to think that, um, you know, let's focus there and address some of the emotion and address some of the mindset stuff that goes into it. And once we have, like, started to think about money, that's not something like, you know, when you said when we started, like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> it, but rather something that's exciting and a tool for affording these lifestyles that we want for ourselves, well, then it's something we are more apt to engage with and we're going to be more motivated to stick with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to get to a lot of that positive stuff Mm -hmm. and positive action shortly, but let's stay on the negative for a little longer. (laughs) Um, What are some of the things that you're constantly bashing your head against the wall when you're you're seeing new people and they everyone does makes the same mistakes. What well, what are some of those things that you just want to shake people and go stop doing that? You know? Well,
1: I would say not not checking the account balances is a big thing. Yeah. is It's especially true when people are dealing with um, maybe some student loans or some credit card debt because that can feel like such a huge mountain to climb. Mm. And sometimes it, it is, like it, there's no denying that if you have $30,000 in student loans that that's not a challenge, that is a challenge.
0: Yeah.
1: But you can't figure out what your resources are and what your best next steps are if you don't actually face those numbers. Because when you face those numbers, what you're gonna get is a little bit of clarity. And clarity is a lot better than avoidance. And what happens when you get clarity on something like that is you start seeing what your options are. You might feel like you have no options, but actually there are. You could maybe qualify for income-based repayment plans. You could maybe um, find that you actually make more than enough to not only make minimum payments but make more than minimum payments so you can pay down those debts faster than you initially anticipated Um, you might find that you qualify for some other like public service loan forgiveness there are so many options for anything in your financial life but you can't figure out what those options are until you actually face the numbers and see what's available to you. Yeah. And so once you do that, I think that's where you start getting a little bit more clarity um, and a, li- a little bit more of that positive money momentum. I'd say the other big thing um, that I see is just people spending more than they earn. Right. So I mean, I know it's I know it's uh, challenging sometimes when you don't get a regular paycheck, um, when you can't always predict what work is gonna look like. but for that, I just tell folks to to think about the elements that they can control. Mm. So you might not be able to control whether you get paid every two weeks the same amount, but you probably c- can know. Exactly how much it costs to run your lifestyle every month. You know how much your your rent or your mortgage payment is. You know how much you have to pay for your monthly insurance costs. You know how much you have to pay, generally speaking, for for food, utilities, general necessities. So you should have a really solid idea of how much you need to earn at a minimum each month to run you inc. And if your creative work or whatever work you're doing isn't meeting that minimum, then you should know exactly how much more you need to hustle to be able to meet those essential needs and once you have that kind of grounding and you focus on those elements you can control it all you can start like seeing how to make the equation work a little bit better
0: right yeah and that's what I want to go on to now yeah. actually dealing with an inconsistent income so obviously your outgoings are things that you can control mm-hmm. uh, but you know you what what did you do you said you worked in the entertainment industry what what were you doing?
1: I worked in just, musical theater. Oh, wow.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you really don't know where your next gig's coming from in that world. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or when when you could just get dropped or axed or the show ends or, yeah, or whatever. exactly. Yeah, so that that world is, is uh, analogous to what we do. Mm-hmm. We never know. Once you've done your gig, you're mm-hmm. on to the next one. So are there any strategies that you could recommend for people who have a completely unpredictable or relatively unpredictable income?
1: Yeah, so like I said that that first strategy is really knowing what your essential cost of living is. Um, And then in addition to that essential living cost, I always tell people to add another 10% because life is always more expensive than you anticipate. Uh, And then I say add another 10 to 20% on top of that for financial goals, for things like saving, for things like debt payoff, for things like retirement planning. I think it's really important to include those kind of financial long-term goals in your monthly essential cost of living because those things need to be as non-negotiable as paying your rent. And unfortunately, what happens is when we're stressed and living sometimes on the lean end and paycheck to paycheck, we think, oh, well, that's where we can afford to sacrifice. But that is going to catch up with us if it becomes too often of a habit. If instead we start thinking about long-term savings and debt payoff and other financial goals as part of our essential monthly cost of living, then we're more likely to prioritize um, those things as much as we do anything else. So I, I say, you know, get that one number and then you get that benchmark for how much You must earn at a minimum. And then, if you're trying to figure out if you can afford um, to go buy concert tickets or for whatever, you subtract your monthly cost of living with all your savings goals and everything included from your previous month's income. And that will tell you how much you have left over to spend freely how you like. Right. Um, Of course, you know, not every month will be in the positive sometimes you know you, you have those months that don't work out the way you want them to um but that's where i think having that that benchmark number can uh give you some grounding in in knowing oh well maybe this is a time where i do have to pick up side work or uh, maybe this is a month where i need to think about um how i can reduce some of my biggest living costs so maybe um that means you know having a roommate for three months because I have no work on the horizon. Yeah. Um. And thinking about where can you find some of those bigger wins in your financial life. Like, you know, people always talk about cutting out lattes. You know, saving $5 isn't going to cut it, right? Yeah. If you're struggling to make ends meet. But it, by cutting your rent payment in half, that can make a big impact. Um. And remembering that that's just a temporary thing uh, to, to help you ease your financial stress can make that trade-off worthwhile. So that's kind of what I tell folks to think about in terms of, you know managing those leaner months and that uncertainty and then also you know the third thing to think about is having some emergency savings so um, this is true for anyone in any career is that you should have uh, some savings set aside for emergencies usually these are things like medical expenses car repair home repair um, job loss but especially if you're working in a field where you have inconsistent income and you can have periods where there's really no work for quite a while um, having an emergency fund which is basically just a liquid savings account with you know three to six months worth of expenses i know mm. that's a big number but start with a thousand dollars and build up from there that can be such a lifesaver when you need it the key is not to let let that become your catch-all for things you just want to do because, right. you know, your friends are going on vacation next month. It's really for that purpose, emergency purposes.
0: Yeah, I remember reading... Do you know your your money or your life? Oh book? yeah,
1: Vicki Robin. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
0: read that book a little while ago. That's
1: actually one a really excellent book. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was great, and she talks about that. I think yeah. uh, six months. I think.
1: Yeah, so. six months. So I know that's like that can be a really daunting number because even yeah. if you if ha- even if you say you know your cost of living is three thousand dollars a month, six months of living expenses eighteen thousand dollars. Like if if you are just like living paycheck to paycheck, the idea of saving eighteen thousand dollars is so overwhelming. But that's why I tell people like start with a thousand dollars like hustle you can find uh you uh some kind of side gig in the next month to make an extra thousand dollars if you really put your hustle gear on right yeah and and get that nut there and then you can just slowly contribute to it over time and build it up Um, you know maybe it's just a small 2% of each paycheck. But if you get a big paycheck, oh, maybe it's half of that one. Yeah. So that's the other thing with the inconsistent income too, is like, you know, when you do get those big paydays, that's not a reason to go suddenly inflate your lifestyle with recurring expenses that are gonna be like significantly more money right. every month.
0: Yeah, and accounting for your taxes <laughs> exactly. and all,
1: that and all that stuff. Yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, one thing I really like, oh I should say you've got a great YouTube channel. That's how I found you. Uh so you should check out uh, Stephanie O'Connell on YouTube. Is that is that's, that's your, it? that's, that's the your channel Stephanie name? O'Connell. Okay. Um you talk a lot about your personal situation, financial situation and your business. I think that's really really and maybe it's not totally unique but it's unique among what people that I follow or I've watched. Um so could you talk about your business. I'd mm. like to hear about that and how you operate and how you deal with the way the inconsistencies of your business, and then we can possibly relate it to voiceover somehow. <laughs>
1: oh, I have to deal with inconsistent income, hardcore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, i probably have over a year's worth of salary of what I used to make in outstanding invoices right now because right. I haven't. I just it takes for. Ever to get paid for some reason. Oh yes. So, <laughs> but you know, as a business owner, I still have expenses that I have to meet every month. I have staff that I don't have employees, but I have contractors that right. I pay every single month, and because I can't operate my business and do the work for the clients without it. But meanwhile, they don't pay. The clients don't pay for another you know ninety days. So I'm constantly in this balancing act of okay, how do I how do I manage um, my business? Business finances, and I've learned a few lessons there. Although it's a constant challenge, even writing about money full time, there are still things I'm learning. Um, so the couple of the big things I've learned is that revenue is not the same as income. Um, mm-hmm. So in your business, and even as a in working in voiceover, you might you know be an LLC. You might you know, and you most certainly have business expenses. So you can think of this similarly. It's like what you take home in the check is not what you get to take home and like put towards your life. There are yep. so many expenses that you have to think about coming out of that. First and foremost obviously is taxes. Um so like my policy is I just I I have to pay a lot of taxes. So I put yeah. about 40% of everything I earn into a separate account. And then I just let that sit there for come tax time and with my accountant we go through it and then we just pull out of there. And if I've overpaid myself for taxes, I am so much happier than if I have to deal with the stress of having underpaid and then owing money that I don't have. Yeah. Um, the second piece of that is um, out of the check that comes in is dealing with all of my, uh, c- my people I gotta pay, right? So I I have an agent, um, a talent agent that helps me uh, negotiate my contracts with clients and he, he takes 20% of everything I make, so I gotta pay him out of that. I get, So now I'm at 40%, I'm at 20% yeah. <laughs> and then I got all the contractors on top of that. And so, you know, if I were to get a $5,000 check, well, it's not really a $5,000 check, it's maybe, maybe $2,000. And so making that distinction um, Between revenue and income is really important because if I think I'm operating my lifestyle with $5,000 when in fact I have less than half of that well I'm gonna find myself in trouble and one of the ways that has been really helpful for me to make that distinction is by having separate bank accounts for those expenses so I have created a separate business bank account. I have a separate business credit card. And you can do this even if you aren't incorporated. You can have a separate account that receives all of your checks for your work. You can have a separate account and a credit card that you pay all of your um, business-related expenses from. And that really helps separate those things so that it's much easier to keep track of. It's much easier come tax time. And um, you are really making that distinction between what is, coming in versus like what you actually get to keep yeah um and so that's really important uh there is another big one <laughs> revenue doesn't equal income uh keep your account separate and oh cash flow cash flow is king yes so um this is another big one and this comes back to this idea of like knowing what your monthly cost of living is because you know it's all well and good if how whatever checks are on their way to you but if they don't come and land in your account before you need to pay your rent and your utility bills and whatever, well, then you know, you're know you going to have a problem. You're going to be overdrawn. You're going to be paying credit card debt, whatever it is. So um, what I've really focused on is not just having these one-off projects, but also thinking about what are some um, smaller sources of revenue that I can create but that I know I'm going to be paid for immediately. Right. So, you know, even if it's not the work in my heart of hearts I would love to be doing, the fact is if I write this $500 blog post, then I'll have another $1000 in my bank account and that's exactly how much I need to kind of meet my cost for the month. Then that cash flow is is worth it. It's worth the peace of mind even if I don't always love the work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And coming back to when you talk about having multiple bank accounts how does it work you're you're invoicing for your business account and then you're taking some of that percentage out to put it into your personal account and yeah so i
1: um i actually recently became an s corp so uh that has kind of changed the way i I pay myself because now i have to run that's another
0: entity yeah that's a totally separate (laughs) entity
1: and i can't speak to that well enough right now i'm tax is taxes is his own you know, world. <laughs> sure. um, but have, having been an LLC for many years, uh, what I have done is I have um, my my personal checking, my personal savings, and then I have business checking and business savings. So I have everything deposited into my business checking account. Yeah. And then from there, I once or twice a month will withdraw some some money. To my personal checking account, right. and I that will be my quote unquote salary. Yeah, you're paying and then, yourself. Yeah. yeah, and then all my business expenses would also be paid from the business checking account. Yeah. Um. And one of the things I've also learned, money lesson learned as a business owner, is I've learned I need to keep that business checking account pretty full. Right. Um. Because sometimes, like I said, those those invoices they they take a while to be fulfilled, and um. You know, I I still have payments coming out recurring each and every month that are that are business subscriptions or, you know, contractors that are being paid from the business checking account. So there's just like I have an emergency fund for my personal life. I kind of have like an emergency buffer in my business checking account.
0: Have you looked into or got opinions on any of these payroll services?
1: Yeah. So I, I just started using Gusto, which is a payroll service, but I I am like still kind of in process Could of you getting explain it a all little set bit up. what they are. Oh, so my service is just um, one that pays me as an employee of my own company. Yeah. Um, and that way, I don't uh, I don't have to file my taxes quarterly anymore because I was I'm I was an LLC 1099, so I would have to pay my taxes once a quarter. Yeah. But now with the payroll service and being an S corp, I'm going to be paying myself a regular salary, and then that taxes will be withdrawn from every paycheck just like it is right. for a traditional W two job. Yeah. So that that's a big shift, but uh, I'm still going through it, so I don't know all about it yet. That's
0: nice. Every <laughs> April, June, September, and January, have yeah, this big chunk of money coming in. <laughs> um okay so invoicing mm. what do you use to invoice and how do you chase up payments and what is your process for harassing people to get you to harassing pay harassing people <laughs> i know it's a,
1: it's a fine line between not wanting to piss them off but actually getting paid um so invoicing i, I think when i first started invoicing i just like pulled up a, a word template yeah. and i uh, you know it, it Whatever it whatever it works, um, yeah. um, but there are also systems. Um, I know, like I have QuickBooks um, that kind of also manages my business finances too, so I can send invoices through them. Yeah. At this point in my career, um, my clients typically have their own invoicing requirements, and everyone mm. has their own purchase order number and all that stuff. So I need to make sure that I'm complying with them. Thankfully, I have an agent whose job it is to do that.
0: Right. That's um, yeah. <laughs> so that helps.
1: Yeah. Um, so so you know, are they t-
0: chasing up payments for you? Or? So yeah. Oh, so okay, this you're is to. yeah.
1: <laughs> I I've had to do plenty of my own own chasing of the payments, and I do. I still, even though I have my agent, it it helps with the agent because then we can play like good cop bad cop. I, I can be like, oh, so wonderful <laughs> to work with you, and my agent can be like, where's the check? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but you know, it's 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 always just trying to be courteous and but not letting yourself be plowed over you know at the end of the day once you've done the work you should be paid in the, the manner um, that you negotiated and that's one thing I would say about payments is like always know what the payment terms are you know mm. if you and are
0: get, you stating those or are you
1: they're in my contracts yeah. and I often ask to negotiate them mm. so I often get payment terms that are net 90 days yeah. and that's a long that's a three months yeah. for a check. It's really tough, especially as a business owner, I have a lot of major expenses. So, um, you know, if I'm producing a video for a client that costs several thousand dollars to make, I don't wanna be out that cost plus my time and energy for the next three months, you know. So, you know, some of the ways I've, Dealt with that is saying, okay, can this be net 30 or can we do 50% up front, 50% later? All that said, like sometimes you can't negotiate or sometimes you do negotiate and they still don't pay you on time. Yeah. But, you know, at least you have that conversation. And if you know the payment terms, then you can also better create your own financial plan, right? If you know yep. you're going to be paid hopefully within 30 days versus 90 days, you're going to need to. Change your financial cash flow equation by a lot, so you got to know that before you sign anything. Yeah. And then I would say, in addition to that, um, I, I maybe this isn't an issue so much in voiceover, but uh, one of the big things for me is really being cognizant of um, term, like the term of the agreement. So you know, if I work with a client, um, that might mean that I can't work with any other client in that space.
0: Oh yeah, for- we have exclusivity okay. too. Yeah. 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 So if you voice for a toothpaste brand right. you can't go and voice for a compressor right. or something like that yeah. so
1: I'm always cognizant of the term of the agreement as well as the payment timeline because the, you know if they're saying we're not going to pay you for 90 days and the term is six months I'm like okay this is not going to work
0: right yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah okay great um oh and before we move on to audience questions what about chasing up I didn't how how do you go? How do you approach that?
1: Yeah, so I always like to start as professionally as possible. So I the the hard thing is finding who who the appropriate point of contact is because sometimes the person who hired you is not actually the person who's char- in charge of payroll. Yeah, and so what you really want to nurture is is your point of contact at the company that has hired you, that's where you really wanna maintain a good relationship because that's someone who could potentially hire you again. Yeah. So if you can get past that person to whoever that person works with on the payroll side of it, that's good because it allows you to be a little bit more straightforward and aggressive with the person who's actually in charge of the payroll. So yeah. I would say like that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is to just be really clear about maybe taking a little bit of personal responsibility to start saying, hey, um, I just wanted to follow up on this. I I know I sent the invoice, but let me know if there were any corrections I needed to make. I haven't seen the payment. Maybe uh, I didn't submit quite right. Happy to uh, adjust anything as needed. That way, I'm kind of taking on the responsibility of. You know, yeah. Maybe it was me. Yeah. But also, can <laughs> even you though ch- you know it can wasn't. you check on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then you know, if they get back to, you, hopefully they do. Um. And if they don't, you'd be like, hey, just checking, following up on this. Um. And then if they get back to you, uh, that's when I think you can ask for a date. Uh, so I've tried to get a sense, even if it's gonna be a little bit longer, at least if I have a date for when that payment's coming, then at least I can plan my life around that. Yeah. That's what's really the challenge is the not knowing. So um, if, if I can ask them for a specific time frame of when they anticipate the check being issued, um, even if it's not as soon as I'd like, uh, that's a win. So I just, I i really recommend that people you know really try to keep it as business oriented as possible and also really maintain and nurture the relationship with the decision makers and try to parse out the finances part of it because it's usually not the same person anyway who's paying you that is the person who's hiring you
0: and there is an emotional element to this, too. Mm-hmm. If you feel like, you know, this person owes me money and you can get emotional about that. You don't want to start yelling and screaming. And
1: yeah. And this is where it out. definitely helps to have an agent in your corner who can who can be a little bit more aggressive on your behalf.
0: And what if you have to get aggressive? What are... What are I mean are you just getting lawyers involved and having them dealing with it or are you sending threatening emails how does it how I mean, are
1: you I I've been fortunate enough well my agent is also a lawyer which helps but oh, yeah. uh, I've handy. also been fortunate enough that you know after a certain number of follow ups people do pay um but it's it's um it's just the, the level of persistence that I find is, is where I get aggressive. Yeah. Um. I I'll start contacting someone every day if it comes to that. I don't want it to come to that. Yeah. But you know, uh, if I if I need to threaten legal action, I would. Yeah. Because yeah, you you do deserve to be paid, and and you are worth it, and I don't want anyone to feel like they should be steamrolled over.
0: Yeah, and a, a tiny fraction of instances. get get to that point but Mm -hmm. it does it does happen it's happened Mm to me Mm -hmm. um okay let's get some questions some of these have been repeated but it might be good to actually clarify some of these points anyway sam glovin has three questions the first one what are some of the best practices for keeping track of all income
1: Mm. Yeah. So I love to write it down. Uh, I know that some people like software. Like I said, I, I also use QuickBooks um, and I like that because it makes it visual for me and I can see it like in pie charts, you know, what yeah. you've earned versus yeah. what you've spent. I mean, I lo- I think about what kind of person you are. Are you a visual person? Are you a numbers person? Everyone has a different way of engaging with these things. So I recommend using the tools that are best for you. Um, I kind of like all of them because if we're, it helps me think about my money in a lot of different, ways. Um, The way I think about the money when I see it in the pie chart on QuickBooks is a little bit bigger picture. Whereas when I write it down every month, what I've brought in versus what I've spent that it's a little bit more granular and a little bit more specific and I can parse out and I like that too. Mm. Um, So yeah, that's what I do. And then in addition to that, um, one of the things I do is I have a separate spreadsheet in my row of spreadsheets (laughs) (laughs) of uh, payments I've invoiced and when I expect them to arrive and then um, what I do is I put that amount in the month that I expect to receive it rather than in the month that I've invoiced it because yeah. you know, it's all about cash flow, right? Yeah. <laughs> So we can't plan our lives with income we haven't yet received, even if we've already done the work. Um, and so I have the income there in the month that I plan to receive it. And when it arrives, I put it in bold. And then I can see where I have missed payments. I can see where I need to follow up. I can see where I maybe need to work on getting some projects so I bring in more money. Um, and that really helps me keep track of everything.
0: Okay, great. Um Sam also asks, what are some things we can do to make quarterly tax payments as smooth a process as possible?
1: I really, really recommend having an accountant. Yeah. I, I, um, Even as someone who deals with money, like, like I said before, taxes are their own separate area of expertise. And you can... Of course, always DIY, but it is just so nice to have somebody there who can just tell you exactly what you need to do and make sure that thing's going in on time and make sure you're not doing it all wrong and then getting hit with a penalty. Um, it's, It's worth the money, it's a business expense, hire an accountant. In addition to that, I think making a practice of setting a certain percentage of every paycheck aside in a separate dedicated tax account, that's what I do, is such a good practice you know i think it's going to depend on your tax bracket but if you can over contribute to your tax savings account let's say 30 percent, 35 percent of every paycheck going right into that tax account come tax time you'll have enough money yeah
0: it's a breeze yeah. yeah okay great and this is a big one and i've heard you talk about this before uh do you base your spending for the upcoming month on income from the month prior
1: yeah so i i think it's really a a wonderful way to plan your spending when you have inconsistent income is to use your previous month's income as the benchmark for how much you can afford to spend in the following month Mm. and there is actually a really wonderful uh, service that actually helps you budget this way called uh you need a budget Mm. and it what he what it does is it asks you to assign every dollar from your previous month's income a job. So like oh, if your if your rent is a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars of your previous month's income, that their job is to pay your rent. Right. Um and the idea is you do this at before the month even begins so that you're being extremely intentional with your spending. And it's not about, okay, well, I have up to, you know, $3,500 I can spend next month, and we'll see what happens. Mm. It's about saying, I've already assigned $300 to contribute to my Roth IRA. So I'm going to do that on the first of the month when I have done my rent check. And because I've already made a plan for for those dollars, I've already created a course of action. And then the the software, actually, you need a budget, kind of just keeps you accountable to that plan. So I think that can be a really wonderful way to make your money work for you in a way that, again, you feel more of a sense of control Mm. rather than it controlling you.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Okay, Alan Dahl wants to know, what is the best bookkeeping software?
1: Mm. <laughs> There's opinion. so many. I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can't speak to the best. Um, I can speak to what I've used. I've said I said I use QuickBooks, um, but I know that FreshBooks is big. Yeah, uh, I, I have use. some friends use Wave. Um, you know, when it comes to money tools, I'm like, do whatever works for you. Mm. And the first thing you try might not be the thing. And accept that. And don't, like, turn off from dealing with your money because you had a bad experience. Just keep trying new things. It's like, I like to think of, um, you know, money management tools as, like, A kind of fitness routine you know i can't swim for the life of me like i can swim but as a workout it's not it for me Uh, (laughs) um like (laughs) rowing nah no thank you um yoga like my brain goes too fast i can't keep quiet but like two years ago i got really into bar and then like four years ago i ran the marathon so like those are my two things and i'm 33 almost right so it took me like 30 years to find my thing, yeah. um, and I'm not saying it's going to take you 30 years to find a money management tool that works for you, but you know, give it a little bit of trial and error. Think of managing your money as a practice like you do a fitness thing. It takes trial and error. It takes a kind of consistency and a constant re-engagement, and it's not just like one day you download this app and all your money woes are fixed. No, it's, it's a constant practice, and it's something you're going to continue to evolve over time.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. This is the final question because we've got to wrap up. Uh, Jimmy Lee wants to know, is it the better strategy to pay down debt with the highest interest first by making larger payments or to pay off smaller amounts first and then put the money not being paid towards extra payments on that highest interest debt?
1: Yeah. So this is um, these kinds of two debt payoff strategies are, are known as the debt snowball strategy and the debt avalanche strategy. And in the snowball strategy, what you do is you make the minimum payments on all of your debts and then anything extra you put toward the debt with the lowest balance first. The idea being that if you kind of gain that momentum by knocking out that smaller debt and then you continue to pay off like the increasingly larger debts, you're going to feel that sense of momentum and you're going to feel like you've really accomplished something and that's going help carry forward into your debt payoff strategy. So that's the one, one idea. The second idea is the debt avalanche, and that's again, you're making those minimum payments on all of your debts, but then anything extra you put toward the debt with the highest interest rate because that mm-hmm. debt costs you the most over time. And then as you eliminate that debt, you kind of put the for- full force of your payments toward the debt with the next highest interest rate and the next, and so you kind of work your way down by interest rate. Now mathematically, the debt avalanche makes sense because, you know, a higher interest rate rate debt, it costs more money over time. So if you tackle higher interest rate debt first, then it will be cheaper overall to pay down that debt. Um, But if you do the snowball strategy, that's about having that psychological boost of momentum. So, you know, what I say is any debt payment you make that is above the minimum is a win. So take a strategy, don't get hung up on which one to choose, just pick one, stick to it, make more than the minimum payments on your debts and you'll be better off. I think a lot of stuff with money, people get so hung up on like, is it this or is it this? Is it this or is it this? So often you're going to be better off for having gotten in and made a decision and learned something along the way than if you keep on sitting on the sidelines just worrying that you don't make the best possible choice.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of that. That was fantastic and hugely beneficial, I'm sure, for our listeners. So any final thoughts before we wrap up? Any final advice? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just, um, I guess my advice is is just like, remember, money is a tool for affording a lifestyle you love. It's not something that's there to restrict you. It's something that can be a really powerful ally in, 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 Living life the way you want, pursuing the career you want, but you have to engage with it to make it work.
0: Great. And how do people find you online if they want to?
1: Yeah, I'm at Stephanie O'Connell on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter, pretty much anywhere, Stephanie O'Connell.
0: Fantastic. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you to this week's guests. Thanks also to JMC Demos and IPDTL who sponsor the show. Thanks to Backstage Magazine and a special shout out to Patreon super member Angus MacLeod. We'll see you again next time.